0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. It was uh, back in 2015. So five years ago, April 2015. And uh, we knew Betsy's dad didn't have much longer uh, to live. And uh, he was in hospice care. And uh, whenever the family would gather in his room, uh, inevitably we would reflect on the past, telling stories, um, things we did together for years, probably 10, 12 years Um, He would rent a beach house in Wrightsville Beach in Wilmington and bring all the kids and grandkids in. Um, You know, so my kids grew up with their cousins each summer, got a chance to hang out with them because of him and a lot of stories of playing charades and, you know, things that we did that uh, you wish people wouldn't remember, but we do. And, you know, we're telling stories and talking. And I'm sure some of you have had times like that as well with a loved one, you know, where you just just remembering, reflecting, and some very special memories and uh, times together uh, during those uh, final days for him. That's what's happening in this parable we're going to look at today. Now, um, you may recall we're in a series on parables, the parables of Jesus that he told. And a parable is nothing more than a, a short, fictitious story that's intended to reveal a deeper meaning. So it takes real life circumstances real life setting, and it reshapes it to to reveal a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding. Most in parables that Jesus told were intended to convey in truth about the kingdom of God he would always he, a lot of the parables he would begin with in the kingdom of God, this happens, or the kingdom of God is like, and that was so it was, and he'd tell a real life situation to reveal a larger spiritual truth. And his parables weren't intended to reveal what life should be like for those who followed him. So the context for today's parable is that Jesus is coming to the end of his life. From the chapter immediately following this parable, we know that Jesus tells this parable on a Wednesday. In 36 hours, around 36 hours, he's going to be arrested. In about 48 hours, he'll be gone, crucified on a cross. So on this day, Jesus and his disciples have gathered together, just like we did with Betsy's dad, except with one twist. Jesus and his disciples didn't reminisce about the past. They didn't reflect on old times. Hey, remember the time that Peter, you know, they didn't do that. That wasn't the point of this gathering. Instead, Jesus is looking ahead, and he's preparing his disciples for life after he leaves them. So to do so, he uses, again, he uses real-life circumstances to convey the understanding. In this particular parable, he uses the illustration of a wedding. And so there was a sense of urgency as he told this parable. He knew that after he died, he would rise to life again, but that he would not remain with the disciples, but would return to heaven, leaving them on their own. However, at the appointed time, at some time in the future, he would come back for all of his followers and and take them back to heaven with him. And because of that, because of that time down ahead in the future, because of the unknown timing of that, They needed to be ready. So this parable had important meaning to Jesus. He wanted his disciples to be ready. And we need to take note of his words because they're even more important to us today. So the parable is found in Matthew chapter 25. So if you want to follow along on your um, own device or your own Bible, uh, that's great. Or you can watch and read on the screen here. the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you for... The story, this parable that Jesus tells that um, was intended for his listeners, but it really has significant uh, relevance for us today. Uh, So Lord, help us to understand what Jesus was conveying in this story, that we would be ready, that we would be prepared as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, because of the distance of time and culture, there's a few gaps in our understanding of this parable. Um, A few things that are just that may not be common knowledge uh, to those of us today. Uh, Before I address that, there's actually a little twist in this one. Is that remember I said before that Jesus starts most of his parables with the kingdom of God is like? In this one, he starts a little different the kingdom of heaven will be. So he was saying this not yet. It will be coming. So he is pointing in the future uh, to a future time. But the the big thing here, the big difference for us uh, that affects us because of the, the distance of time and culture is this idea of a Jewish wedding. Not just a Jewish wedding, but a first century Jewish wedding. Very different for than from what we would experience today. Today, if someone wants to get married, you can, uh, hey, let's get married. Great. Let's go. You can literally can go do it then and there. Go to the I make an appointment at City Hall or wherever you need to go, you can, just as it's a piece, you can get married, I mean, pretty quick, and it's, it's signed, sealed, and delivered, and it's all over with. <clears throat> even that, even if you have an engagement and it's, you know, you've got the service and the ceremony, the celebration, it's all within a few hours on a Saturday, typically. Um, it's all a relatively short period of time. Back then, within the first century Jewish context, the, the, there were actually two ceremonies related to a wedding. And there could be up to a year, sometimes longer, between the two ceremonies. So the first ceremony is what is known as the betrothal. And so up until this time, <clears throat> the groom's parents and the bride's parents have been negotiating. What's the, you know, is this going to work? You know, there's conversations about, you know, do we want our son marrying your daughter and vice versa? And, you know, I'm sure that uh, the, the bride and potential bride and a groom are... You know, hey, what are you doing to me? You know, or they're saying, hey, yeah, that's great. Let's go for it. And there's all these kind of conversations going on. At the patrol ceremony, though, an agreement is reached between the two families. Um, Often money is exchanged. There is a contract that is signed, literal contract that is signed. It's a legally binding marriage at that point. At that moment, when those contracts are signed, they literally are man and wife, or husband and wife, man and woman, husband and wife. They're married. But the woman remained in the home of her father until the second ceremony happened sometime in the future. Now, the groom then, after everything signed and sealed, would actually go back and begin working on the house that he and his wife were going to live in. It was often an addition to the father's house. So they're going to put a wing on the father's house and they would build that. And at the end of that, when the house was ready, he would go back to get his bride and then they would have some place to live. Now, here's interesting, especially if this was an addition to the father's house, it was the father of the groom who oversaw the project. I mean, that kind of makes sense. You're adding or diminishing the value of my home, so I want to make sure it's done right. But um, because of that, the father of the groom was also the one who determined when it was time to go back and get his bride. It was, him, it was the father of the groom who decided, all right, this is good, we're good. Or am I saying, no, not right, we need to redo this. Or he was the one who determined, all right, now is the time to go back and collect your bride. At that time, the groom would return to the home of the bride at night to bring her back to his home. And as they came back, the friends of the bride uh, and the bridegroom, the, the, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, they would hold lanterns on poles to illuminate the path of the groom and the bride and the groom on their way back, yelling and making noise, celebrating, and commemorating um, the, the wedding of this couple on their way to the second celebration the wedding celebration that happened. And this quite often was a week-long time of partying. A lot of, lot of food, a lot of dancing, a lot of music, um, and it lasted a time. So during this procession, this is what the parable is happening. The groom had gone back to get his bride... And some other manuscripts, not in in Matthew, but some other manuscripts actually talk about this parable with the the bride accompanying the groom back at this time. Matthew doesn't mention that, but we can assume that given the context of the story, that they're on their way back for the second part of the marriage ceremony, the celebration. And this is where the party was going to happen. So here's the thing though, because of the remodeling project and because it's possible that the groom lived in another town or in a different area, the bride knew that it would be sometime in the future that her groom would come back, but she didn't know the exact day. She didn't know the exact hour he could come back in a year, could come back sooner. He could come back later later. She had to be ready. The bride needed to be ready at all times. So, with this understanding of a first century Jewish wedding in our background, um, what might be some takeaways from this parable that we can look at here this morning? I think the first uh, takeaway for us might be this. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Does anything about this parable sound a little familiar? The groom returns to his father's house to build an addition... At a a time determined by the father, the groom returns for his bride. Listen to John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Clearly, Jesus is portraying himself as the bridegroom in this parable. His death and resurrection would be the first part, the betrothal ceremony of the marriage between he and his bride, the church, the followers of Jesus. He would leave to prepare a place for us, but he would come back again. So, that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway might be this some things can't be borrowed. Contrary to the saying, something Hi. borrowed, something new, blue. That's right, yeah, so. Um, thank you. Some things can't be borrowed. Did, um, back, th- some of us have to think a little harder on this. Think back to when you were in, in high school. Or, or, um, and someone come up to you and says, Hey, can I, did you do the homework last night? Can I borrow it? Borrow it. It's like, um, now, if it was a really popular kid, you know, it's like, sure, you know, and, uh, but even then, even if it was your best friend, there's a party that's like, ugh, I did all the work, and you get the same benefit of doing nothing, and there's a party that feels like, just, it's just not right. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. When the bridegroom eventually comes, the five foolish bridesmaids realize they don't have enough oil to keep their lamps burning, so they ask the other five bridesmaids, the wise ones, to give them some of their oil. And the wise bridesmaids refuse. <clears throat> I mean, it looks like the way the story reads out, they didn't even like, think about it. Like, no. I mean, it was immediate thing. How many of you, your first thought, if you can think back to the story, your first thought is, well, that's not very nice. Why aren't you sharing? Um, I mean, isn't that something we should do? Isn't that kind of selfish, not wanting to share? A um, couple thoughts just about that, because that's a, that's a genuine response to when you read about that. First, this parable is not a lesson about ethics. That's not the point. of the, the point of the story is not about sharing. The point of the story is about being single-minded in our preparation. Okay, so that's the first one. The story was not intended to cover every possible scenario. It was intended to cover a very specific one. But here's the most important thing about this. Secondly, it's important to point out that the wise bridesmaids didn't have a surplus of oil. It doesn't say that they had this huge reservoir. They had brought extra so that when when it was run out, they could replenish. They had, because they brought extra, they had just what they needed. It's not as if they had a bunch left over and they were selfishly hanging on to it. They, have now, they now have just enough to keep their lamps burning. That's why they said, hey, if we give some of this to you, we're all going to run out. And that's not right. It's not right for you to ask us to do that. But the message in this parable here is very clear. Each of us is responsible for our own lives. You cannot depend on the faith of others. a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, you can't rely on their faith for your own outcome. You are responsible for your own life. And a relationship with God cannot be borrowed. It must be created and maintained yourself. Each of us is responsible before God for what we decide to do with our, our one life, Once this life is over, there are no more opportunities. Another takeaway might be this we must do first what matters most. Um, Both of my sons are Eagle Scouts. I may have shared that in uh, prior stories, but uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Boy Scouts, but the motto is be prepared. Now at the, at the end of uh, every one of their troop sessions, um, um, the scout master, you know, they were going through different things and reciting the motto and different things. And, and he would say, you know, be prepared. And there's this pause. And in unison, the boys would always respond, we are prepared. You know, and so it's just this awareness that you're, you need to be prepared. <clears throat> and for, for um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Boy Scouts were founded in the early 1900s by um, a gentleman. He's actually Lieutenant General in the British Army. Robert Baden-Powell was his name. Founded both Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts uh, were beginning in the early 1900s. For him, this idea of be prepared meant that you were always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. I, just, I thought that was pretty cool. For him to be prepared in mind, you, you do this by having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order. Military guy. And also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. That's pretty cool. You anticipate, think through what might happen and you're ready to actually respond if it comes up to be prepared in body, you do that by making yourself strong and active and able to do the right thing at the right moment and then do it. So here's the thing. We can be lulled into a sense of complacency and think we have forever, but we don't. What we have is today, and today is what really matters. Listen, Everything in this parable that Jesus was telling was normal to the listeners until Jesus got to verse twelve, which is the groom's response to the knock at the door. Everything up until then was just a, a, a normal story. Bridesmaids fall asleep—that's well, understandable. I mean, that's—I mean, it was late. And notice here, they weren't. No one, no one was condemned for falling asleep. Sleep is a natural response to we get tired. It's late. Nothing in this parable suggests that we need to live unnaturally, that we need to do anything that's odd or different. Through the normal course of life is when the groom is going to come. So this isn't as if, all right, now we just need to sell everything we own and move to some mountaintop in some some other state and wait for the return. That's not what's being said here. If you notice, he comes in the midst of life, the normalcy of life. So the fact that the bridesmaids fall asleep, well, that's there. Okay, I get that. It's unfortunate, but they were tired, and that's fine. Now, the foolish bridesmaids run out of oil, well, that's really regrettable, but I can see how that happens. I mean, you think the groom's is coming at a certain time, and you don't plan ahead. And Again, it's regrettable, but I get it. I understand how that can happen. And The fact that the bridesmaids then come to seek entrance late to the wedding ceremony after the groom arrives... Again, it's a week-long celebration. What's the big deal? You know, yeah, they're a little bit late, and yeah, they're probably embarrassed, and yeah, it's it's probably socially bad and all that. But really, I, they get that it was it was something that could probably work out in their mind. But when the groom in the story replied, "Listen, I don't even know you," everyone at that moment said, "Wait, what?" What are you saying here? What just happened? Why? At that moment, Jesus had the full attention of all of his entire audience. They were hanging on his every word because this was not the outcome they were expecting. Now, if that weren't enough, Matthew records Jesus immediately telling two more parables right after this one. Here's how the next one ends. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, that's harsh. The second parable ends this way. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. In all three of these parables, Jesus isn't playing games. He couldn't be more serious, and the stakes couldn't be higher. God's grace is not infinite. Now, God is infinite, and God is gracious, but His grace is not infinite. And what I mean by that is one day there will be judgment for each of us, and we need to be ready. A final takeaway for us this morning might be this. Faith in Christ not only saves us from something, it also saves us for something. Not only do we get to spend eternity with him, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are saved by God's grace to live out our faith while we wait for the return of Christ says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this idea of being ready, being prepared isn't just that we're just sitting still just kind of waiting and you know, playing board games until he comes. We have things to do in the meantime as well. Being ready is, is just as much about living that way day to day as much as that we are just waiting for uh, the end to come, if you will. Now, before we leave for this morning, before I end my, my talk here, I think I need to address the obvious question uh, that uh, I think many people ask. And it is this. It's been more than 2,000 years since Jesus told this parable. How much longer are we going to have to wait? Or another view, a little, maybe a little more cynical view, question might be, at what point can we actually say he's not coming back? So with regard to the first question, how much longer... I have no idea. <laughs> this is a secret. Uh, I figured it out. No, uh, Wouldn't that be interesting? Here's the thing. No one does. No one knows. No one exactly. Matthew, <clears throat> Jesus says this in Matthew 24. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father. <clears throat> in this, okay, here, here's the one that always gets me in Acts. Jesus has, has um, died, rose again, and before he's he's you know before he uh, goes back to heaven um, permanently, um, he's with his disciples for a few days, and they're standing around talking. The second to the last sentence he utters. Okay, so this isn't exactly the last sentence, but the second to the last sentence that he utters to his followers is this. It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Then he utters one more sentence, then he's gone. So we don't know. No one knows. If anyone says they do, they're lying. Or... Or I'll, take, I'll put a positive spin on it. They're deceived, okay? I'll even say they intend well, but they're, they, they can't because there's, Jesus himself says, I don't know, no one knows. Angels don't know. Um, so how much longer are we going to have to wait? I don't have a clue. Okay, it's the second question. What if he's not coming back? What if this was all just, you know, something told in a story and it's just, it's not actual, it's not real. What... You know, and if you're human, you've got to have thoughts like that. I mean, because they're real. Those are genuine thoughts. And here's my response. Here's, here's how I process that question. For, those, for 2,000 years since Jesus told that parable, those who have preceded us in faith, millions of Christ followers, they have longed for the day of Christ's return. In fact, Titus 2.13, it refers to that day as the blessed hope. And I remember growing up and hearing people re- say, oh, can't wait for that blessed hope to come. And they we're talking about is the return of Christ. So for 2,000 years, those who preceded us in faith have been longing and waiting for that day. The idea of Christ's return isn't just some random idea. It's central. It's foundational to our faith. It's a key part of who we are as Christ followers. It's part of what we believe is part of that. So, Here's the other thing, too, is we don't have the option to think that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. You know, he, he doesn't give us that option. Jesus, he either is who he says he is, or he was, he was a crazy lunatic who just had some really cool things to say, and some of them were good, but really, when he got down to it, he was kind of just not playing with a full deck upstairs. But here's the thing. Those of us who have been transformed by our relationship with him know him to be who he says he is. And it's true that we may pass before Jesus returns just like Betsy's dad. Just like others that we have lost in our lives here some recently. Jesus, they, we may go before Jesus returns. But here's what I believe, a deep conviction in my heart. One day, Jesus will return, and we need to be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the um, the chance we've had to uh, dig into this parable a little bit, and uh, just the warning by Jesus to be ready. And uh, Father, I know for me, uh, I get impatient waiting. And uh, this idea of waiting for you to return is, is something I've been hearing about since I was a little boy. And so, Father, it'd be real easy to uh, kind of just push this aside and say, ah, I, it may never come, or, or to think that I have a long time. But Lord, the fact is none of us, none of us know that we have tomorrow. We all know all that we have is today. And so, Father, I pray that... Um, at the very least we are ready for tomorrow and uh, God that our hearts would would be prepared uh, for that and Lord that we would be thinking and living uh, that maybe we do have a life to live and a long life and Lord spiritually and Lord in our in our relationships with you and with others we're living as if all we have is till tomorrow and if that's all we have is till tomorrow what does that need to do about today how do we live today so Father, my prayer is that uh, you would uh, speak to each of us and uh, some of us may recognize things in our life that maybe we've gotten a little lax, we've got a little careless, we've let slip uh, we've gotten complacent and uh, Father, I pray that you would help us and convict us for that and that we would uh, begin to, to turn some things around and maybe to shift direction a little bit and and put our life back on track the way we think it should be according to how you've called us to live. Father, maybe there's some here today who really aren't sure if they're ready. The thing I love about what Jesus says is that we can be sure, we can know, that we don't have to live in doubt. All we have to do is surrender our life to him, submit our life to Jesus and to live as if we were pursuing and following him. So Father, I pray that anyone who, might need to do that today would have the courage first they'd have the self-awareness to recognize it but then they would have the courage to actually take that step to actually surrender their life to you Father I just again thank you that you've called each of us to follow you and that you desire that each of us spend eternity with you in heaven so Father we continue to put our lives in your hands and trust you for all things in Jesus name I pray